0: Good evening and welcome to a special Friday night edition of BAMS Radio. I know we're generally on Thursdays, but we moved it back a day so that we, a few of us could have some conversations and really get our minds right heading right into the college football playoff game between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Washington Huskies. Quite frankly, listeners, I wanted to watch a little more tape, wrap my head a little more around how this game's going to go, and get some scheme ideas and try and explain a few things to folks that aren't as big, you know, X's and O's football savvy, but just kind of explain how Alabama will look to take advantage of some things that Washington does and try and draw some parallels for fans between football that they've watched our Crimson Tide play over the years. And the first place I want to start about start out just talking about the game is when Alabama has the ball on offense. Now, the first part of this really comes down to where Jalen Hurts is as a passer. It's been said many times and very fairly that Jalen Hurts has struggled passing the ball at times. Is he a bad passer? No, he's not a bad passer. He's a true freshman passer. And with that comes some warts, comes some necessity to grow. And some of the things that have been diagnosed by the telecast and then many times afterwards have been Jalen Hurts does need to trust the play to develop a little bit. In many cases, Alabama, if they're not doing pure quick game stuff, and when I say quick game, I mean, you know, snap the ball one step, look up, let the ball go, you know, two to three seconds in the pocket, it's the longer developing plays, plays where a Calvin Ridley or an Ardarius Stewart needs time to do a double move or do a slant and go or any of the multitude of longer route combinations that the Crimson Tide employs to get a big play. One of Jalen Hurts' issues has been he hasn't trusted those plays in many cases, and gets a little happy feet and breaks it off, and he ends up making a good play with his legs. But he could also have made a touchdown if he held onto the ball. So continuing to get those repetitions and learn things like that, it's going to be something that I want to know. And the only way you will know is once the game gets going. You know, you can listen to things that have been said in the media and. To Jalen Hurts' credit, throughout this week, he seemed poised for a true freshman. And so you have to feel pretty good, but does he trust plays a little more? Be interested to see that. Also, the issue of communication. Uh, I was speaking with Jamie Barnes uh, earlier today on my other show, The Alabama Scheme Team, and he made a point that I'm actually going to reiterate and what he wanted to see, and what I agree with, once he really broke it down for me, is I want to make sure, I want to see how the rapport between the Calvin Ridley's and/or the Ardarius Stewart's has continued to develop with Jalen Hurts. You listen, that you look at Jalen Hurts's some of his turnovers, which they are part of the game; they happen. But you want to look at the reasons for those turnovers. And in many cases on interceptions, it was because there was a miscommunication between quarterback and wide receiver. Now, I don't know if that's Jalen Hurts' fault, if he thought the play was one thing and the receiver thought another, or it was just where the mistake lies. But I want to see that sort of thing continue to get kind of phased out, kind of grow out of that tendency. Because if there's one thing that has been beaten into everyone's head, mine included, it's that the Washington Huskies' defense is very, very good at turnover margin. They lead the country, and if you really watch... How the UW team plays, it's in some ways very similar to Alabama. They'll get a slight lead, then the defense will make a big play, and then suddenly, before the opposing team can look up, the Huskies have a two to three touchdown lead. They're playing from in front and they can cut loose a supremely talented secondary backed up by what is not necessarily a spectacular pass rush, a very solid pass rush that can be very disruptive. You know, we're not talking an Alabama pass rush, but we're not talking, you know, the the little sisters of the poor development league pass rush either. So, you know, that that's really Washington's game plan and it, how do those those miscommunications can be outsized because of how the Huskies play. But, you know, aside from Jalen Hurts, and I think that is going to be a big key, what have these 15 bull practices really done for the young man in terms of continuing to develop? And before I do move on, I want to say one final thing. Realize that every rep Jalen Hurts has has had a larger effect because his total body of repetitious work has grown much more than if Jalen Hurts was a sophomore or a junior. The numbers mean more at this point. He only he only has a handful of thousands of reps as opposed to, you know, look at a guy like A.J. McCarron. When A.J. McCarron led Alabama to that national championship in 2012, he had tens of thousands of repetitions more than Jalen Hurts. So that's really what I mean with those with the bigger effect that more practice can have for Jalen Hurts. He just needs to see it more. But Something that I really started to think about as I looked at film and started to, or continued I should say, to look at the Washington Huskies defense, the realization that Washington works out of a base 3-4 defense, and fans that longtime Alabama fans will know 3-4 because that's also Alabama's base defense, but Nick Saban has changed the uh, changed the complexion of the team to where actually Alabama's nickel defense, their uh, 4-2-5 or... 3, three five, depending on how they decide to align, are the general base for this Alabama defense. If they get into their quote-unquote base defense, it is a 3-4. But Washington uses, I don't want to say an older style 3-4, but a style of 3-4 that Alabama fans will be familiar with in that they've got very large bodies on the front line, on their front defensive line, that try and two-gap. Now, what is two-gapping? Gaps are defined as the areas between the guard and the center, or the guard and the tackle. There's a, there's just a gap of air between them. That that's how the, that's how it's built. You know, you see, if you watch the old Stanford put eleven in a phone booth, there's almost no gap there. But if you see a spread team, the gaps are a lot larger to try and spread a defense out. But in two gapping, you try as a defensive lineman to maintain leverage over both over both gaps, over a guard, or, you know, a guard and a tackle, depending on how they choose to attack, as opposed to a four-three, which wants to penetrate between those gaps. So with a four three it's go between the two guys to get upfield. With a three four it's stand over a guy and if a running back goes to the left or to the right, be able to either make the tackle or shrink the gap to where he gets slowed down and your guys behind you, your linebackers, or even a guy like Buda Baker, the safety for the Huskies, that comes in and tries to make the tackle near the line of scrimmage for you know a, a short run, short gain or no gain at all. Well, within that two-gap scheme, one of the things that it works fantastically if it works, but if you're watching the game on Saturday... Try and if if you like offensive line play, if you like in the trenches, try and see how many times the Alabama offensive line is able to climb to the second level. Climbing to the second level for an offensive lineman is simply the ability to effectively block a defensive lineman, go past him, and then get on a linebacker to make a larger lane for an Alabama running back. If Alabama is able to do that, the two-gap scheme will have failed because as most Alabama fans know, Two-gap schemes also love double teams. The double teams allow for linebackers to come free and shoot gaps and make plays. And when I say shoot gaps, think of the Rashawn Evans play uh, in the SEC Championship game where he comes to carving through the line and hits the Florida running back for, I think, a one-yard loss on the goal line. That's what Washington wants to do. They want to occupy offensive line with big bodies, which free up linebackers, to come in on a Damian Harris or a Jalen Hurts, or a Bo Scarborough. And, you know, as as Alabama fans know, that defense has helped Alabama win multiple national championships. But as as a smart Alabama fan that all of our listeners are, you will also realize that that defense has some weaknesses, and those weaknesses are spreading the team out and making them run. Think about a Johnny Manziel game. Think about uh, the Cam Newton game, which uh, let's just pretend that didn't happen. I was there. It was miserable. But the 3-4 defense does not function as well with a spread. It Then those guys, you can't make a 330-pound man run a lot. He just, it, they're not, big guys are not built to do that for four quarters. So for all the folks that have been all over Lane Kiffin for the jet sweeps and the short passes, et cetera, et cetera, that's the sort of thing that can have a big effect on this team if you make them going sideline to sideline. So, you know, look for some of that. But it's going to be a good game no matter what. I will say, though, that because of how UW decides to deploy their defense, their big frontline guys, if Alabama can win up front, it can really, really start telling. Now, I don't think Alabama's offense is going to be able to go on the field and just crush the life out of this Washington defense. The Huskies are too good for that. But I do think this team, this offense will be able to have success against the Husky defense. Base three fours have in some ways fallen out of f- favor because two gapping is really, really difficult at the college game because of things like the zone read or the run pass option. Run pass option plays, you want to try and disrupt by getting penetration in many cases. And you know, two-gapping doesn't really do that. You you almost, if you're a defensive lineman, you almost take the snap and stand there and don't get moved. Whereas you look at a guy, you know, think about this year, this, the John Allens and the Duran Paynes. In multiple occasions, they've ragdolled guys to get to the quarterback and be disruptive. So, you know, just some, some things, trying to draw some parallels for listeners that they might know from Alabama and try and transpose it to Washington. They do some other things differently. And I will say the Washington secondary is spectacular. So you don't want to get in a shootout with these guys because the secondary will make plays. But I don't see that happening. I think the Alabama offense will have success. I don't think you're going to see a massive difference in what Alabama does. It's just who can execute better. And if Jalen Hurts is able to continue to up his game in terms of execution, that bodes very, very well for this Crimson Tide team as they take on Washington. But, you know, I, I want to actually shift, turn the ball on its head, and when Alabama's on defense against the Washington Husky offense. You know, fans have heard again, you've had your ear talked off at this point, so I won't bore you, but Washington's offense is very explosive and it's very balanced and balance is a very key thing. It's a very key thing almost more so for Washington because we've seen what happens when you take that balance away from Washington. And when I say balanced, I mean similar passing to running numbers or not maybe not even numbers, just the similar running plays to passing plays. You don't you want a lot of their offense is predicated on having everything clicking and then, you know, just kind of grinding you out, doing so many different things that you can't key in and stop one thing specifically, and they just go up and down the field. That, that they being the Washington Huskies. Well, that concept of balance is going to be very difficult for Washington to keep up with for multiple reasons. Reason number one, as every Alabama fan knows, the Alabama defense is stopping the run at a near historic level this year. Alabama is obviously less than 100 yards a game. And even in those of those yards, a lot of them are garbage time yards. You don't need to go beyond the SEC championship game against the Florida Gators, where Alabama had Florida down in the negatives. And the only reason Florida got to zero total rushing yards is because Alabama sent in the second and third string. And Jim McElwain was just like, get us out of here. And they ran the ball for, you know, a handful, 20, 25 yards or so. So you know that that's going to be real tough for Washington to maintain that balance. Now, Jake Browning, to his credit, if he's given time, can pick a team apart, and he's got some really really good wide receivers and John Ross and Dante Pettis on the outside. But one of the other, one of the reasons that I don't buy the balance argument and why I think Alabama is going to have solid amounts of success comes from the Washington offensive line. The Washington offensive line, and I mean this as kindly as possible, but it's going to sound terrible. It's decidedly, eh. You know, it's there. They do well. They have been beaten. And if you want to see an example of that, watch the Washington-USC game. USC was able to constantly pressure Jake Browning. Jake Browning started to press, and he had a horrific game. He threw a couple of interceptions. His completions were, you know, he, just terrible. He completed under 50% of his passes. Not a, not a good outing for the young man. And Alabama's defensive line, is USC's on steroids. It's going to be very difficult for the Washington offensive group to handle Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson and John Allen and Daron Payne and all the fellas that want to get after the quarterback for four quarters. So, you know, balance is key for Washington and I, I have a hard time believing they will maintain that balance throughout the entire game. Do I think the offense will have success? Certainly. Again, Washington is an excellent football team. It's a complete football team. You know, I, I think it's a little bit crazy that Alabama fans are expecting just to walk in and walk all over this football team. That's not going to happen. I do have Alabama winning and winning fairly comfortably, but it's not going to be one of those games where Alabama comes out, puts up four touchdowns, and then cruises for the rest of the game. That That's not going to happen. But you know, I don't think the Washington offense will be able to stay balanced. And a lot of that is because the Washington offensive line is just not there against the Alabama defensive line. And, and, you know, that's, that's not really that surprising. How many offensive line groups have really stood up to this Bama defensive line for four quarters? I would argue that none of them have. And if they have, it's only been in fits and spurts. So it hasn't been this Alabama knocked on their heels up and down the field. Teams go, and even if you look at a game like the beginning of the SEC championship game again, Alabama gives up the seven, the, lar- the long starting touchdown drive. Excuse me, Alabama adjusts, starts doing a few little things different, settle in, three interceptions, and you know, you know the rest. I won't waste your time with it. So. I really buy into this Alabama defense. Some people have sent me some statistics that this Alabama defense would be the most efficient in the past 30 or 35 years, which is crazy if you think about in this age where the rules very flagrantly favor the offense, and yet this Alabama defense is competing with groups of players that are you know, historically fantastic. So I really look for the the balance the, the the lack of balance on the huskies te- the huskies part on offense to negatively affect their ability to move the ball now i will say that as good as the front seven is i i want to see a guy like marlon humphrey and anthony Everett. they're going to get tested because washington go, does go deep about once a quarter they try and throw the ball over the top to the aforementioned john ross and dante pettis Alabama has been susceptible to that. You only need to look at the Ole Miss game to see what I mean. And, you know, they have to stand up there. It's that simple. I don't even have to list all the talent in the secondary. Fans know the talent. I'm not going to talk down and insult your intelligence. But it's simple. Stand up. Do your job. Some Giving a couple of plays up is not a killer. But it's not going to be something where you're going to see where – Think about the going back to Ole Miss. Alabama's up and then touchdown, touchdown real fast, and everyone's stress level shoots through the roof. So there's, there's just some on-field things that I've noticed, I've thought about, and things that I wanted to point out to our listeners. I want to talk about a couple of things that have sort of surrounded the game, though. And I want to touch on this Washington as an underdog thing that has been a major storyline. And simply put, I don't buy it. Everyone points to, oh, Chris Peterson beat Oklahoma when he was at Boise State. Oh, he's, you know, he's 5-0 against AP Top Ten. And Chris Peterson, head coach of the Washington Huskies, is a fantastic football coach. I take nothing away from him. But realize with that Boise State win, there wasn't a whole lot on the line for the, excuse me, for the Oklahoma Sooners in that game. And, you know, you've seen that before. Florida State, in last year's, uh, one of the New Year's Six Bowls, lost to Houston. And Houston, you know, good football team. But if you go and put stars versus stars, Florida State has much more talent or had much more talent than that Houston team. So I, I don't buy into, I think that's one of the big things against this underdog mentality because Nick Saban and this Alabama football team, they've been there before. And there's a lot on the line here. So I have a hard time believing that Alabama is just going to come in sleepwalking like you know the Oklahomas or the Florida States did, and so I think that's a really key difference. And I wouldn't put a lot of stock into Washington as an underdog. Me personally, I think Washington's a really good football team. I think they deserve to be in the college football playoff, and. I think they're going to show up and they're going to give Alabama a great game. The problem for the Huskies is very simple, and that problem is this Alabama football team. This Alabama football team its probably going to have five or six first-run draft picks. Uh, this year's draft, we're not even talking about the next year or the year after that's draft. You're talking about a supremely talented football team that defensively is setting historical records And an offense that, while it's not, you know, setting the world on fire, passing for 1,000 yards and running for 1,200 every game, has been efficient and is scoring at a very high clip throughout the season. So before I actually start playing the audio, and I'll give brief intros before each piece, I'm going to go ahead and give my score pick. Uh, I have Alabama winning 42-24. And simply, it's going to be something that I've described in other shows As the Alabama afterburner effect, I think Washington will be able to hang with Alabama for a while, but eventually Alabama's offense will get on track to a point where you'll see, you know, over a five-minute span, two touchdowns and a field goal, three touchdowns, something like that based off a turnover or something else. And when Alabama takes it up and hits that afterburner, no team has been able to really hang with the Crimson Tide this season. I think we'll see that. I think it'll be close, but Alabama will pull away for the 42-24 win. And uh, moving on, quite frankly, between Ohio State and Clemson, if you have no rooting interest – I think Alabama could have a much easier time with the Ohio State Buckeyes than the Clemson Tigers. So if you if you want the the easier road, easier road in air quotes to the 17th National Championship, keep watching football and uh, cheer for the Ohio State Buckeyes or or probably let's go with not cheer for the Clemson Tigers, because I don't know if you can be an Alabama fan and really cheer for Ohio State. That's that's something I don't want to contemplate. But anyway, We've got a whole bunch of audio for you coming up. I'm going to go ahead and start one of them. Talking about the Alabama side of things, Drew did have William Redfish Barger on his show, Talking Ball, doing a very long-form, quite frankly, preview of the USC-Washington game. So I'm going to go on and play that. Here's Drew DeArmond talking to William Redfish Barger.
1: William, always great to catch up with you. How are you this morning? I'm doing
0: great, Drew. How are you, buddy?
1: Doing well, and uh, I know you've been uh, with some with your family in Nashville as well, enjoying some downtime. I don't blame you there. Uh, the Crimson Tide finally getting uh, ready to lock up with the Washington Huskies. Uh, all the hype and uh, pomp and circumstance over with. Now they have to play football. Uh, the SEC not off to a strong start uh, during this uh, bowl season, but not a surprise. The league was somewhat down this year. Alabama was by far the most dominant team in the SEC. Is there any you know kind of uh, in your mind? Uh, does it, is there any does it create any doubt uh, with how good Alabama may be with the SEC struggling?
2: No, I mean not not in my mind. I mean I think if you look at the uh, you know the games and how they played out. I mean outside of the LSU game, um, you know, I think Alabama made a statement in every one of their SEC games. Um, you know, some people might look at the at the old Miss game, but you know their their last couple of scores were, um, you know, took place when Alabama had their second team guys in the secondary and some second team guys along the defensive line. So I think Alabama, you know, ran through the conference this year and you know made the statement that not only they're the they're the best team in the conference, but until you know one of these playoff teams proves otherwise, they're they're the best team in the country. Um, You know, three straight SEC championships. They've gone wire to wire um, as the number one team. Um, You know, have a chance to, you know, do something that, you know, never has been done before um, and and have, you know, back-to-back national championships um, twice, you know, under the same coaching um, regime. So, you know, they've got the winning streak. I think it's up to 25 games now. So, you know, they're, they're kind of in rarefied air. Um, I saw some of the media people, um, you know, trying to dig for something that's not really there, kind of trying to compare the Washington, you know, experience and how their players have been reacting and how excited and, and upbeat and, you know, kind of, you know, kind of a party like atmosphere that they've been projecting this week over in Atlanta. And they said, you know, it's just kind of depressing to watch this Alabama group. They just walk around like they're bored and, um, you know, they they seem disinterested and they just seem like, you know, they're a business like attitude every time we come across them. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, this is the first time Washington's program has been in this situation, I think, since 1990 and, uh, or 91, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah
1: it was 91, yep. National, That's right.
2: National championship. Um, you know, this is just. You know the byproduct of a Nick Saban football team. They went through the season. They won their division. They won their conference. Uh, they're the only team to appear in the playoffs three straight years. So um, you wouldn't expect them to, you know, think that a uh, you know first round of a, a first round of appearance in Atlanta, you know, is something to celebrate about. You know if they uh, if they raise that playoff trophy again in a couple of weeks. Um, you'll see some dancing, and some partying, even out of the head guy like he did last year after the
1: Clemson game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alabama knows what's at stake. I think I think it, uh, it's a, a big advantage for them having been here before. Uh, I know that one of the narratives being played is Chris Peterson is a you know five and zero against AP, you know, you know top ten teams. Uh, I understand that, but this is a different situation. First of all, he's never coached against Alabama. The second of all, he's never been in this kind of playoff situation. He's always kind of been uh, the uh, the uh, David and the Goliath situation, uh, with you know, and, and and many times he's playing teams that don't have a championship. Isn't it's not a national championship game, not a playoff. Uh, so I think with Coach Saban and the and the staffs, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah experience in these situations, I think it's a big feather in their cap. Plus, you have the Steve Sarkeesian angle. I know some people have said he won't have a lot of effect on it, but at least he's very familiar with the Washington program and the way uh, that uh, – and competing against them as a head coach at Southern California, recruiting some of their better players, and also uh, Tosh Lepoy, which uh, – that, that really hasn't been talked about uh, too much during the preparation.
2: Well, I think having, you know, just like I said uh, before the USC game, you just touched on it. I think having two guys on your staff. Now, will Steve Sarkisian have a, an impact on which plays are called Saturday afternoon? No, he won't. But uh, he's been heavily involved in the game planning. Um, you know, both he and Tosh LaPoy are very familiar with the personnel, especially the upperclassmen on this Washington team. They, they were, you know, evaluated, recruited them, and, and coached a lot of these upperclassmen. So I think that is a a big benefit to Nick Saban and this Alabama coaching staff. Um, It really helps out in the scouting and the game-planning aspect of this deal. Um, And, and again, I think that's another difference between, you know, the two programs and the two head coaches. I've heard Nick Saban say over and over again, you know, this isn't the, the end. You know, there's nothing to celebrate here. You have to hit the reset button. And basically, once you get into these playoffs, you know, consider it as the first game of the season, or in this case, the first game of the postseason. Um, and I think that's a benefit and advantage for Alabama. They've been in this situation before. You know, two years ago, after that loss to Ohio State, they streamlined their approach to both, or I guess now call it playoff practices, and uh, you know, went the opposite route. I think he figured out it didn't turn. You know, quote unquote, bowl practice into a mini spring practice uh, anymore. You know, I think the guys were worn out, beat up um, when they went down there to play Ohio State, so he's given them more time off, more time to spend with their families um, over Christmas, and I think you'll see that you'll know, play out in much the same way that you saw him do uh, last year in round one versus Michigan State
1: and then i know you've you've studied washington uh on both sides of the ball and and kind of looked at how they're built i've i've watched some of their uh you know uh film as well especially the uh 12 championship game uh, against colorado cuz it's their most recent performance and it, it was the two quote unquote best defenses in the pac 12 i still don't think uh anything they've seen compares to alabama especially along the their front the defensive front It looks like, to me, uh, it's another mismatch in the trenches. I do think the Washington defensive line is being undervalued a little bit, but I think Alabama's offensive line uh, has kind of been underrated also. I know the offensive tackles have been very good. Jonah Williams at right tackle and Cam Robinson at left tackle. Bradley Bozeman has been very, very good at center, No matter, despite what you heard from Hugh Freeze. Uh, but I, I I just really think overall Corin Curvin uh, has been uh, a, kind of a revelation at right guard, and then Pierce Baker has put two solid years at left guard. But just kind of talk about first of all, I guess the matchup of uh, this uh, Washington offense against this Alabama defensive front.
2: Well, maybe going in reverse for a second. You know, I, I think when you when, you know people say that you know Alabama might have you know, trouble with this Washington front seven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think collectively they are pretty good from at seven, but when you watch them, you know you don't see a Derek Barnett, a Miles Garrett, an Arden Key, or, or a Carl Lawson, or maybe to a lesser extent a Montrevious Adams. And you know those are all players that Alabama um, you know matched up well against and battles. And uh, yeah, I can see some situations where if they stunt, uh, you know, do some run blitzes, which I expect them to do to try and control Jalen Hurts from running with the football. Um, you know, where there might be some confusion and the blocking schemes, might have to be cleaned up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I just, I, like I said earlier, I just think on both sides of the line of scrimmage, um, Washington hasn't seen these kind of athletes. Um, you know, the closest that they've seen to it was, you know, what they experienced against that loss to USC. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a a good ball game in the first half. But I think the the talent and the depth of Alabama will, you know, start to exert itself in the second half. And you'll see this thing kind of, you know, start to leak away from Washington a little bit. Um, You know, they're not a very um, – they're not a real uh, – You know, great rushing attack. I think they're going to have to, uh, you know, try to establish that, but I think they're going to find that tough sledding like every other team has that's faced this Alabama front seven. So, you know, like like Saban tries to do with everybody, I think he's going to make Washington and Jake Browning one-dimensional, and they're going to have to line up and try and throw it all over the place, which that will bring the Alabama pass rush into play. And if Alabama is able to, you know, get pressure on the quarterback with four guys and being able to drop seven into coverage, I think that's going to end up creating uh, potentials for guys like Minka Fitzpatrick and and uh, Marlon, uh, Marlon Humphrey <laughs> and those guys on the back end to uh, create some uh, turnovers and some interceptions, which could result in some big sixes.
1: Well, and I wanted to. I'm glad you brought up Marlon Humphrey. He, of course, missed the Florida game, part of the Auburn game, had a hamstring issue, was not completely healthy. Um, now should be, and after bowl prep, this is a big opportunity for him. He had a little bit of an up and down year. I know a lot of people, and uh, you were one of the first to report. You felt like he was going to take a really, really long look at coming out for the NFL draft. Yeah, I, he's probably still going to explore his options, no doubt about it. But if he wants to come out. And he's going to really need to perform well in this game and uh, help Alabama get a win, and then in the national title game.
2: Yeah, and I, and I totally agree with you about your assessment of him having an up and down year. I, I would have to give the, you know, the nod to uh, the corner on the other side of the field, yeah. Anthony Avery. Um, I thought had a slightly better year this year for, uh, you know, as compared to Marlin as far as giving up big plays. And you know, and despite that, you know, still when you look at the, the latest mock drafts, I mean, there's still people projecting Marlin to be a top 15 pick. You know, with the up and down year that he had, so I, I, I agree with you. Know, I think he needs two big ball games, uh, which he had last year in the playoffs, um, to you know kind of solidify that status. But I still think it's going to be you know a tough decision to be made after they sit down and, and you know, coach, uh, you know, Saban. You know, Gives him that draft grade, and, and you know I think he and his family are still going to have a tough decision on that. But he will be um, 100% um, for this ball game on Saturday, and I'm looking forward to seeing him back out there with the rest of the starters.
1: And I know you have your ear to the ground as well as anyone. Any other injury concerns?
2: No, I mean, you've got your normal guys that are trying to bang them up. Reuben Foster and Cam Robinson um, got dinged up on the, uh, the Sunday practice uh, before Christmas, a couple weeks ago, and and you know they recovered from that. Ruben tweaked his knee, Cam tweaked his ankle, but you know that's something that they've uh, recovered from. I don't expect either one of them to be limited on Saturday.
1: And that was when that was the the scrimmage, correct?
2: Oh, I don't know if it was a scrimmage or not. It was just a Sunday practice, you know,
1: uh,
2: mm-hmm. you know during bowl practice. I, you know, they may have done some limited scrimmage work, um, you know, at the end of practice, but they don't do. You know, full full fledged
1: scrimmages that ride any stadium during both oh, times, yeah. like they do in the spring and fall. Oh right, right. Yeah, I just hearing they did a little bit of scrimmaging, and that's probably uh, when the, that occurred. Some full contact stuff, I guess, uh, to kind of work on some things and to stay sharp. And then uh, one thing I we were talking about yesterday, William, uh, Bo Scarborough has obviously really asserted himself in the last month. Uh, also, I, I you know you know how what I think of Joshua Jacobs and his ability as a runner and receiver. But I got a funny feeling Damian Harris may have a big game Saturday. I know Miles Gaskin's getting a lot of talk from Washington because he's a 1,300 yard rusher. Uh, they have a nice one-two punch, but I'm like you. I think Gaskin's going to have a hard time against Alabama, and I think Damian Harris uh, and with Jalen Hurts mixed in uh, with this three-headed monster, because I I'm, I think that there could be more zone read in this game. I think Harris could have a big day. Day.
2: I, I agree, and, and I hope that he does. You know, he's right there. I think he only needs. Seventeen
1: yards, yeah.
2: Yeah, like. yeah to, to be a thousand yard rusher, and I agree with. you. I think the, the Alabama rushing attack is so diverse with a you know running quarterback and, and Jalen Hurts. And then you've got three, uh three, um, you know, the three running backs that, that you know each one of them brings a different uh, different thing to the table. Um, Bo has really come on, you know, in the latter part of the season since getting injured against LSU. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, the guy that you mentioned who I think can have a big, you know, big factor in this game. You know, Joshua Jacobs has proved to be a really, really dangerous threat as a pass receiver out of the backfield. I mean, he's really, you know, done some damage the latter part of the season in, in catch and catching swing passes, you know, kind of in a check-down role from Jalen Hurts and also proven to be very dangerous on screen plays as well.
1: Yeah, he really has. And uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and then with this offense – going up against this uh back this back uh this back seven, especially the secondary for Washington. They're a ball hawking group. Uh they uh, they've uh, inter- I think they have nineteen interceptions, William. They've been one of the better units in the country, but they're going up against now Jalen Hurts. Uh, your thoughts on Hertz and his progress and, and how he uh, projects in this game. I know there's some people worried uh, that, he, uh, that he may have uh, some issues, and some, especially throwing the football. But to me, uh, I think he's a, he's now 13 games in. He, I know he studies film quite a bit. I have a funny feeling he's going to rise to the occasion on this stage. Your thoughts on this Alabama offense and, and the way it matches up against this Washington defense.
2: Well, I mean, I don't understand why people would think that he would struggle. You're not going to see a uh, totally uh, revamped offensive scheme. I mean, they're going to go out and do what they've done well. I'll seek them long. You know, they're going to try and establish the run. And I think this is a game where, uh, you know, maybe uh, Nick Saban needs to tell.
1: Absolutely. And, and William, uh, before we talk a little recruiting to end the segment, uh, just your prediction on the game. I've got 31-13 Alabama pulling away in the second half. What is your uh, score prediction?
2: Man, we're not far off. I'm going with
1: 34-9. 34-9, so you think they can keep Washington out of the end zone. Very interesting pick from William Barger. And I, my, my gut's telling me 31-24 Clemson. What is your feel for the Fiesta Bowl? You
2: know, I think that game all comes down to – you know, which version of Deshaun Watson shows up. You know, if the the same guy that showed up against Troy and N6 State in Pittsburgh shows up, it, it could be a, a close ball game. Um but but I, I think he'll show up and you'll see the, the Deshaun Watson that's been a you know a Heisman trophy candidate in my mind and still in my mind probably should have won it this year. Um you know it plays tends to play his best in big ball games. And if he does, uh, you know, tomorrow, I think they'll win, you know, by 10 to 14 points. I just I just don't think this Ohio State team is on the same level as the one two years ago that took down Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, J.T. Uh, Barrett is really struggling as a passer. Um, they don't really have a lot of weapons on offense. There's not an Ezekiel Elliott back there at running back. And uh, you've seen several teams, you know, throughout the Big Ten, you know, have some. They have not faced a offense near as dynamic as what they're going to see out of Clemson. You know they probably have the best quarterback and wide receiver combo, um, you know in college football. They've got some very very big tall weapons a you know, wide receiver for Deshaun Watson to dissect that Ohio
1: State defense with. No doubt. And and now uh, the uh, to talk a little recruiting, we did talk to Drew Sample, who's been at the Under Armour practice. I know you've been following that. Closely, eight commits for the Tide in the game. D'Angelo Gibbs will make his decision Sunday uh, between Alabama and Georgia. There seems to be a lot of momentum with Alabama right now. Uh, just your thoughts, first of all, on Gibbs and, and what you've what you've seen uh, and heard uh, from, I know you have some contacts that are down there.
2: Um, I haven't really heard anything. Um, I've got a friend of mine that's actually you know down there at, at the Under Armour practices, and I haven't heard any scuttle. But I think Alabama had a lot of momentum uh, going into the dead period, and, and you know, I don't know whether this is from you know being around his family or you know local friends there um, in the Atlanta area, but I do think Georgia has kind of pulled back in with Alabama, and uh, you know this could be a true uh, you know coin flip tomorrow. I don't know if the young man's made his final decision yet at this stage. Um, I do think there's some strong interest on his end. Um, you know, being coached by Jeremy Pruitt and then Nick Saban, certainly, a, you know, a DB, that's appealing to. Um, but I do think there's a lot of pull from, from different members of his inner circle that want him to stay closer to home and go to Georgia. So I, I, I don't know what to expect tomorrow when he makes his final announcement, or excuse me, Sunday. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, I thought it was interesting, day one of the Under Armour practices, the, uh, the media people you know, named, you know, the top 10 players of the day, day one. Right. And start going down the list and counting them out. Alabama had five of them. <laughs> um, you know, when there's 10 players of the day and one school has five, I think that's a pretty good indication um, about how good the recruiting class actually is. And, uh, you know, there's two guys that have that really emerged, I think, you know, as far as offensive linemen and specifically an area of need for Alabama at the offensive tackle spot. Um, you know, people are, are saying that, you know, Alex Leatherwood is the best offensive lineman there. Um, something that's been a little bit of a surprise to me, they've got him working at left tackle, and he's done extremely well. Um, you know, when you can, you know, hold your own against an a elite-edge rusher like Robert Beal or Josh Kando, um, that says something about your ability to move your feet on an island and play in the SEC. So that's something certainly is a positive, but I think even more so than that, has been the work of uh, Jedrick Wills at right tackle. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's a guy that I felt like going into this game was was somebody that, you know, maybe had an outside chance after reshaping his body of of having a chance to be a right tackle for Alabama, but he's he's really starting to, uh, you know, push the envelope to a certain extent at that that game and has done some outstanding work at right tackle. And, you know, I think going back to Leatherwood for a minute, you know, showing his versatility, and I think it was more so to see the matchup versus, you know, somebody saying, well, maybe Leather would be better inside. But yesterday, in four reps at offensive guard against the number one defensive tackle in the country, Marvin Wilson, uh, Alex Leatherwood stoned him all four times and didn't give up any ground to him in pass pro. So just some really, really outstanding work by two of Alabama's, you know, top offensive linemen for this recruiting class. You know, Jerry Chu has proven to be uncoverable this week. Um, certainly solidifying uh, the label that some people have put on him as being the number one wide receiver in the country for this class. And and prior to, uh, you know, pulling his growing, a lot of people were saying that Christopher Allen was the best linebacker down there so far this week. He's he's not going to practice the rest of the week. He's still trying to decide if he'll be able to go Sunday in the game. But, you know, prior to his injury, he was really turning a lot of heads.
1: He really was, and I know there were still some people nervous about his commitment, but it sounds like he's solidly committed uh, to Alabama uh, and uh, is going to uh, leave the, uh, the uh, Pelican State in uh, Baton Rouge, like, much like Tim Williams and Dylan Moses. Uh, and I know Moses is uh, somebody that's been high profile. He's been down there at the Under Armour game. William, we'll see how he performs. He's someone that I, I still think is a good athlete, but he still got to develop as a football player. And uh, I know he was—he's been ballyhooed since he was in eighth grade. Uh, but again, I just think some—I think there's some people that need to kind of pump the brakes on him. I still think he's going to be a good football player, uh, but he needs to kind of ingratiate himself into Alabama's program. and They need to kind of find what I guess the spot that's best for him uh, as a as a linebacker, whether it be inside or out. And just he's going to have to do, some more developing to do. I think.
2: And I think that's a great way to describe it. And I think you know he's walking into a situation at Alabama with their linebacker depth. You know, he's not going to be you know pressured or forced um, you know into having to be an early contributor at a, whatever linebacker spot they decide is, is the best fit for him. So you know, much like you saw Ruben Foster do um, his first year, he'll come in he'll have a chance to be a great special teams player. You know, get his feet wet um, at the SEC level. Um, you know, being a special teams guy, he's, he's you know such a phenomenal athlete. You'll probably see him on all the coverage teams. And uh, you know, one guy that, that we haven't talked about yet that's also really uh, impressed a lot of people this week down there is you know from where you're sitting at right now the the homegrown talent Le'Bron Ray. Oh,
1: um, yes,
2: because there's so many elite defensive ends down there. Um, You know, Ray's worked primarily at defensive tackle this week and has really impressed a lot of people with his quickness and his get-off off off the ball. Um, He's been problematic for people to stop as an interior pass rusher. Made a lot of plays in the backfield in the run game. And, you know, there's a a lot, a lot of people down there that are saying that he's going to come out of this thing. If he has a good performance Sunday in the game, he's going to come out of this thing getting a lot of push um, from these recruiting to get that that fifth
1: star, which would be huge for this Alabama recruiting class. No, it really would. Now, I've always felt like he was a five-star talent. He'd gotten better every year. I think the comparisons to Jonathan Allen are valid. I think he can become a dominant football player uh, for the Crimson Tide. Maybe not uh, as good as John Allen. John Allen has been a kind of a generational player, but I still think he can be very, very good. And, of course, as you said, that game will be played uh, on Sunday, January the 1st after the college football playoff. But William, we always appreciate your thoughts and uh, always
0: That was William Redfish Barger talking to Drew DiArmond about the upcoming contest with the Washington Huskies. Let's keep moving it right on along and Talk to another good friend of the program, a guy who's been on multiple times, and Drew had a conversation with Ryan Fowler. You're going to notice an Alabama-focused theme for the first part of the show. I do have a little bit of just overall Washington coverage from the other side of the coin, but that's for a bit later. For now, here is Drew Diarmond talking with Ryan Fowler about the Crimson Tide.
1: Ryan, your initial thoughts on the final media availability before the hay is in the barn.
3: Well, you know, uh, I, certainly it's uh, Happy New Year to you guys. Always good to be on with you for a couple of minutes. And, uh, you know, I look back, the big take-home message for me uh, was things that were taken out of context was asked to, actually asked to Nick but And I think the one thing that I want to go back to, because I was standing in front of Lane Kiffin, and, you know, Lane Kiffin takes a lot of heat. He's a polarizing guy. But I go back to a comment that he made, and I just put it on my Twitter account a couple of minutes ago. If people want to go listen to it, it's Ryan uh, C. Fowler. I put it up there. Uh, but something was taken out of context, what, what he said. He was asked about if he had fun at Alabama, you know, coaching under Dick Saban. And it, the the comment that got spread around said he did not have fun. And that's not what Glenn Kiffin said. And, and if people go listen to the audio clip, you'll hear it for yourself. And it might be something that your producer could pull and you might play it in the last few minutes of your show. Uh, it's about a minute and one second long. But, I mean, there's been articles that have been written about Lankip and not having any fun and so today nick saban was asked about that by one of the uh, reporters from the la times and i don't know who put that out there i've seen a couple of different things out there but people are writing articles about it and and i think it's it's the one thing that sort of makes uh media look bad uh because you grab something and you twist it you really take it out of context so that was you know even nick saban i mean he took the high road and said was asked about, well, what, what do you think about Lane Kiffin saying that you don't have any fun at Alabama? And I thought it was really, you know, I, I thought it was a, you know, I, to me, I, I thought it was a, it's just, it's misreporting. And, and I, I, I really try my best. I'm sure it's happened before on my show. You know, you try to. I try to take things with audio clips and try to make sure that uh, I'm reporting accurate news. And, and that was not it. And if I hadn't been standing in front of Lane Kiffin, I'd have read the article and believed the same thing that he actually said that he had no fun at Alabama. But uh, that's not what he said, and, and the audio proves that if you people want to go and listen to it.
1: Yeah, it's really bothersome when they try to twist words and uh, create a story that's not there. William Barger was kind of talking about that within our previous segment. Uh, and I have retweeted Ryan's clip. Uh, it is up on our on our Twitter feed. It will be up on 97.7 The Zone, and also my Twitter feed at D 977 ESPN. Ryan has been all over it. But speaking of conversations, uh, uh, Ryan, another one that I've retweeted as well, and uh, I know you were very – you know, when we talked on your show yesterday, you really were excited about the conversation you had with him, and that's a new addition to this staff this year, and uh, that's defensive line coach Carl Dunbar.
3: Had a great conversation with Carl Dunbar, and, you know, just wanted to talk about that transition. When you talk about from defensive line – Uh, coming in on Bo Davis in a really unique situation because you got to go back and understand these players had great relationships with Bo Davis. I mean he they had built a lot of rapport they played hard for him and then this situation that that was brought up there in May and then he was let go and then you brought in Carl Dunbar to me that's something that was you know I I think it's easier it, it it's hard to come in and do and build that relationship but now he's created with with his talent, with his skills, with Nick Saban and everybody else, I mean, he's created one of the best front sevens uh, that that we've ever seen in college football. And I think Carl Dunbar is a huge part of that. I mean, he's brought a lot of different skills to these guys. And I think sometimes you don't want to just go in and reinvent the wheel. Just try to continue what was being done there by Bo Davis. And I think Carl Dunbar did a really really good job. I also asked him if he thought that this was the best defense ever. Uh, that this and man, he he had a he said no, I. I uh, we, we still got a lot of work to do, and and that's a good coach that you know doesn't you know doesn't want, doesn't want to stop and doesn't want to become complacent. Uh, that's a that's a huge applause for him.
1: And then uh, I know you you've you done done a very good job of covering both ends of the spectrum of this game, uh, getting a lot of perspective from the Washington side, also covering their practices. Uh, and I know you've seen them now up close physically, and you believe Alabama is the much better football team.
3: Physically. Drew, I don't even know how to compare it. Um, I mean, maybe like a 6 7 team to a 2 3 three eighteen, team uh, where there's a couple of guys that fit in, but all 22 do not. And, and when I look at Washington, I've, I've been to their practices. I've had a chance to look at them in press conference. There is a significant size difference between Alabama and Washington. It, it just – if, if Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban decide they're going to go traditional a little bit in this game, and they may do that – uh, because it would give Ohio and Clemson State, whoever they were there playing, uh, it would give something to think about. You know, are they going to go back to a physical-style play, or are they going to, you know, spread them out and go east and west? Uh, but this team, guys, it, when you look at physically, it, it doesn't even look like a team that, to me, even belong. I mean, I watch the SEC. It, it's not even in the conversation. It, it These guys are just, it, they may weigh the same, they may be the same height, but the body structure is just not there. And I, I really started. I've, I've thought about it. I don't know if you'd be willing to contribute. I, I'd like to ask for a few bucks, if it's okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to start a GoFundMe account for Washington a new weight facility because I'm not sure if they have one.
1: Wow, that's uh, some strong stuff. And uh, I, I know. mean, it's
3: just, hey, it's just what I'm, what I'm seeing. I mean, it, I mean, it, you guys will see it tomorrow. I mean, when you compare those guys to like Jonathan Allen and Dalvin Thomason you know, Jonathan Allen's not a beast, but but he makes these guys look like a
1: – Yeah, and I, and I know uh, Gene Stallings had some strong things to say on our station and yours as well. He likes Alabama by 25 to 30 points in the game. Uh, you've been able to watch both teams practice. There also seems to be a different approach there as well.
3: Yeah, and, and I mean, he, he, Coach Stallings got, a, got me a little bit cracked up the other day he said he likes this game for uh, 25 to 30 points. He likes Alabama to win the game. So, it, I, do, do I expect that? No, I just submitted my prediction about five minutes ago. Okay. Uh, I, I went 35-17. I, I think Washington will have some success, but I don't expect them to have a lot of success. I just don't. I mean, I, I just I, – I think – I mean, it still goes back to the line of scrimmage. As much as we want to make college football fancy and razzle dazzle, if you got a line of scrimmage, you, you, you can win the majority of the games. And Alabama has a clear advantage when we talk about the line of scrimmage.
1: Yeah, they really do. And I think that's where you started. I've, I've got 31-13. I said so on your program yesterday. William Redfish Barger just went on record on our program earlier this hour, thirty-four to nine. He likes Alabama big in the contest. He thinks that uh, that they're not going to be able to run the football at all. Even though Miles Gaskin, uh, it has thirteen hundred plus yards, double-digit touchdowns. I it's agree, two, 100%. two hundred percent, you know, two really good years. But again, they haven't seen anything like Alabama. We saw the Colorado team they played in the Pac-12 championship game just be just be destroyed by Oklahoma State. Uh, in the uh, in their bowl game last night in the Alamo Bowl, your 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 thoughts on the on uh, on the, uh, the the SEC though thus far? It's been very disappointing, but really not shocking considering this league has been down this year.
3: You know, and, and I think that's one of the conversations. If you really want to dive a little bit deeper, you look at the SEC and the way they perform. Uh, maybe some of these numbers of Alabama are inflated a little bit. I mean, I mean, I knew the SEC was bad. And I didn't think – when everybody else was talking about how great of a bowl year they were going to have and they were going to be – I didn't see it. Uh, and it may turn it around here very, very soon. You've got Nebraska, Tennessee. You've got Auburn, Oklahoma. Uh, but, but the SEC right now is throwing up some embarrassing uh, top performances here. And I think it just really shows you the separation, the gap that's been widening between Alabama and the rest of the SEC. Uh, it's there. It's obvious and I don't think it's getting any better. So if you're an opposing fan, uh, how can you be pleased with what Kevin someone threw up there uh, from Texas A&M? Brett Bellman last night, one of the biggest collapses I've watched in a long time in a college football game. You've got to be disappointed if you're a fan base. Uh, there's a couple of other games here. You know, Florida-Iowa, you know, that could go Florida's way if they could find a way to, to, to find some points. Uh, but but right now, the SEC is is putting up some embarrassing performances right now uh, in these bowl games. And you know I, I hope it's not a reflection of Alabama's – I think Alabama's a great team, but I do think some of the numbers have been inflated just because of the inferior competition right now in this league.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the one narrative uh, that you have to uh, you know you have to, you just kind of prepare yourself. I mean, don't underestimate Washington; they're a very good team. But uh, the SEC is down. But Alabama uh, did dominate just about everybody in that league, and uh, if it hadn't been for a late flurry from Ole Miss, uh, would have won every game comfortably. Uh, though, you got to give South Carolina some credit. At least they showed up in the second half and forced overtime when it looked like they were going to get blown out. But you're right, an embarrassing performance by Arkansas, 24 to nothing, and uh, lose 35-24. Uh, you got to believe Kevin Sumlin and uh, Brett Bielema are not going to have uh, pleasant off-seasons.
3: No, I, I I wouldn't be. I mean, I, I wouldn't be satisfied with what they've been able to accomplish there. No, I, I'd be very disappointed. In, and I, you don't know how those fan bases are going to handle it this year, but uh, what, a, what a way to lose your final game of the season and then travel into 2017 with very, very little momentum and a lot of people questioning the direction of your program, and rightfully so. I mean, I like Kevin Sumlin because he's from the state of Alabama, mm-hmm. but Texas a and has got to be making a decision as they travel in the hot seat. I know the buyout's crazy out there, but but you look – can they really look themselves in the mirror and say that they're headed in the right direction under Kevin Sumlin? I, I don't know if you can. I mean, I, I think it's very difficult. But maybe these teams and maybe these athletic directors have figured out they're not playing for first place anymore. They're really playing for second place.
1: Yeah, they really are. That's what it seems like anyway. Alabama – uh, is uh, just continues to get stronger and stronger. Looks like they're going to bring in, I think, the top recruiting class again and continue to get more and more talented, uh, no question about it. The SEC has a couple other opportunities today, starting at 11 o'clock on this station uh, as Georgia plays TCU in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. Then later today this afternoon uh, in Nissan Stadium in Nashville, the Tennessee Vols against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So maybe the SEC can get some momentum. And then tomorrow, of course, Alabama and LSU to uh, take the field uh, in their games. Ryan, I've also got to get your take on the Fiesta Bowl. I've got Clemson. William like Clemson as well. It would be a rematch of the national championship game. Do you see Dabo Sweeney and the Tigers getting it done against Urban Meyer again?
3: Well, I mean, they're so inconsistent. Who knows right now? I mean, Deshaun Watson at times looked like an All-American top quarterback, and at times he struggled uh, in, in certain situations. I don't know if Ohio State can confuse him enough to keep him off of his game. You also got to go back. I mean, they played in that same stadium last year against Alabama. So that, you know, has to help to know that, that type of atmosphere. Uh, you know, I'm really tossed up against this game. And I, I guess, I be mean, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably say Clemson. But Ohio State, I won't be shocked either way. I mean, I think this game is going to be probably one of the better games of, uh, you know, the bowl season is, is this Clemson-Ohio State game. And I won't be shocked if either team – I really won't. I mean, I, I just – I think this game is like what do they what do they say too close to call. Uh, I mean, if you stuck a gun to my head, I'll say Clemson, but I'm not 100% sure confident in that game.
1: And now, uh, finally, Ryan, we thank you. This is Ryan Fowler, of uh, host of the game on Tide 102.9, and from 2 to 6 p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday. I know you've got a lot of player reaction this week. Your thoughts on how what you feel about their focus and getting ready for this game, uh, and then also just kind of you know you kind of get a feel for the mindset of a squad. What are your thoughts after being able to sit down with us, some of these guys and, of course, some of the coaches?
3: Yeah, I think they're dialed in. I just think there's a there's an intense level. There's a practice. Uh, they practice with that intensity. I think they're dialed in. I think they're focused. Uh, I think Alabama's ready for this for this meeting, and I think they're ready to come out and take care of business. I'll be shocked if they don't.
1: Yeah absolutely and uh, I know again you've had a chance to sit down uh, with the coaches players and kind of get a feel for it you've done the I think the best job of covering this from Monday until now you do an outstanding job and we know the final chapter of the game before this contest is going to be epic today.
3: Yeah we're going to have a couple of guys from Seattle because you know I I keep searching uh, for someone that can make this game close and uh maybe they can, but I haven't been able to find too many reporters that think that. Uh, I'll see if I can find one this afternoon. I've got one scheduled. We'll see if you know what he thinks. I mean, Warren Moon last night on the program said that, you know, he thought that Washington could make it a challenge. Uh it sounded like Lincoln Kennedy, another former Washington player, didn't think it, it could be. But uh hey, uh the haze in the bar now. We're hours away from this big matchup in the ATL and I look forward to seeing you. Uh, over here uh, very, very soon.
1: Yeah, we were going to be on the road later today. Look forward to seeing you, Ryan. Always will be great to catch up, uh, be up in the press box at this uh, great uh, venue in the uh, Georgia Dome to see the Tide uh, try to return to the National Championship game. Thank you for your time, sir, and uh, have a great show today. Hey,
3: absolutely. You guys, too. Thank you again.
0: And that was Ryan Fowler talking with Drew DiArmond. Ryan's obviously been boots on the ground for the past week, so he's got a very interesting point of view. I hope you're getting kind of excited about the matchup. Heaven knows I am. Let's keep moving on with this uh, Alabama theme. We're going to hear from Travis Ryer, a senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, and then following up, I'm going to have John Garcia. So we have a whole bunch of different Alabama stuff. So here is Travis Ryer talking with Drew DiArmond.
1: Travis. Uh, I, I think uh, the Alabama fans also better understand they're still pretty formidable up front just to, and all, uh, to go along with that really good secondary.
4: Yeah, and you know, they have size. I think most of the times when you think about Pac 12 defensive lines, you think more power forward. Well, <laughs> you know, at long and athletic type guys that you see at USC a lot of times, maybe UCLA, but. Um, You know, this is a Washington defensive front. You know, three guys that they really depend on a lot. Greg Gaines, Elijah Qualls, uh, Vita Vea. um, You know, all are 318-plus. So they have tavern brawlers that can mix it up inside and kind of go against that power running game when they need to. And, um, you know, those three are a big reason why Washington led the Pac-12 in rushing defense this year. And it's also why I think you may see Alabama – take more of the zone read approach this this week, although I think Alabama can run the ball either way against just about anybody, but you know, when you look at the teams that Washington struggled against this year on the ground, Arizona jumps off the page immediately and you know, ran for 308 yards against Washington, and we all know Rich Rod loves the zone read and uh, some tempo, so maybe we're going to see uh, maybe we're going to see more Arizona from Alabama offensively this week than USC, which is what i think most people are expecting
1: and then uh you know i kind of talked about it i'm i'm hoping that alabama comes out and tries to establish the run uh and, and get uh, some in some advantageous down in distance situations uh because uh that secondary is a ball hawking unit uh for washington and uh, if i were alabama i i'm not sure that i would come out and uh try to test them early i would want to try to establish physicality what's your take on how you think alabama should start this game on offense
4: Yeah, and I think that's going to be a determining factor in probably how this game goes, because I do think if Alabama comes out and does try to get more mix from its running game, and when I say that, I'm talking about actually getting the running backs involved Mm -hmm. um, in the first quarter, quarter and a half, um, I I think Alabama could take a little more control of this game early. Um, You know, you've got to have some mix. Uh, Everybody understands that, but... Um, you know, I, I think you, you you would ideally get Damian Harris and, and Josh Jacobs and Bo Scarborough going a little earlier than you did against Florida. Um, and you said it with that secondary, Taylor Rapp, uh, the true freshman at safety, very uh, aggressive in his approach the intermediate passing game. Um, I think it could help you throw the football if you run it a little bit early because you, know, you get the backs going, you get Hurts going with the run game, um, you get those safeties a little more up in the box. and you know They take chances on the back end anyway. They don't play a lot of zero coverage in terms of the straight-up man, but uh, rap and their safeties are real aggressive against the intermediate routes. So you know, it might give you a chance to hit something over the top, too, um, if you do a little more of that early. But we'll see. You know, it's Lane's world and, uh, instead of Wayne's world, and we're just living in it. So um, we'll see how uh, Lane chooses to go about it this week.
1: And from what you've uh, seen uh, and heard from Media Day, your take on uh, what you think uh, of, the, of the focus of this Alabama team
4: seems to be right where it needs to be. Um, you know, that's one area where they obviously have a huge edge in terms of preparation.
1: Mm. Is
5: that
4: they've done it the last two years, and I think maybe you know, in each of the last two years, learned some things. Probably two years ago down in New Orleans, uh, based on what you've heard from Nick Saban, maybe approached it a little too much as a bowl game, whereas last year may have been approached more as what it really is, and that's the college football semifinal. Um, You know, you're trying to win a national championship, and focus really had not been a problem. The only game that this team has looked like it's been just sort of disinterested or uninterested was Chattanooga. You know, otherwise, when it needed to be, focused and centered and ready to go, it, it pretty much has been. It, it understands the stakes. So uh, And, you know, having the veteran leadership that they have, that all the guys that could have left for the NFL that came back, not just what they've given this team in terms of statistical production, uh, it's that part of it too. You know, Reuben Foster and Jonathan Allen and, you know, the, so on and so on, Ryan Anderson, these guys all know what it's about. And, and that's a big
1: advantage. Yeah, it really is. It's a huge advantage uh, for uh, the Crimson Tide. And I, I think it could end up playing out. Uh, as I, I do think this is going to be a good football game for uh, two-and-a-half quarters, but I expect Alabama to start kind of uh, imposing their will, so to speak, uh, in the middle of the third quarter on into the fourth. Uh, but, Travis, I noticed on your uh, Southern Fried Sports question of the day yesterday, I thought it was interesting, uh, your poll question, uh, when you said looking at UW, the biggest area of concern for Alabama, I would have thought maybe perhaps uh, the uh, opportunistic defense or the all pack 12 QB and wide receivers, but uh, trick plays and the respect for Chris Peterson won out.
4: It did. And I think that says a lot about him. I think it tells you that the understanding of how good a coach this guy is isn't maybe as under the radar as, as a lot of people think it is. Mm. I mean, he's widely renowned for his ability uh, to win games and get his teams ready to win games. So, yeah, you know, the, the trick play aspect has been a big part of the narrative this week, and obviously something you have to be uh, well aware of if you're Alabama defensively. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're not going to be able to say they weren't prepared for, for some of that stuff if, if they fall victim to it. Um, but, you know, they've given up some plays on some – some things like that this season. The Western Kentucky game, they gave up a 59 yard reception to Taewon Taylor on a flea flicker. Uh, Old miss the next week, I believe it was, hit him with a sort of a fake toss and then hit Evan Ingram over the top. Now, this is an aggressive Alabama defense. Uh, they like to play downhill and they like to make plays, as evident by their ability to score touchdowns on their own. So um, I'm sure those are things Chris Peterson's seen and probably four or five times. And so Absolutely. Uh, I would expect uh, something of the sort from uh, Washington and, and probably pretty early in the game.
1: Well, and I think it's going to be very important for Alabama to, to run the football and run it well. And I know you, we've we've talked about Bo Scarborough and what he's done in the last month, Travis, and he really seems to be coming along. But you made great points about the year Damian Harris has had and kind of under the radar. Uh, I still think... If, if there's a kind of a sleeper that could be a guy that could have a, a big game on Saturday, it could be the uh, sophomore from Berea, Kentucky.
4: Yeah, I think it could be. I think especially if they get him going a little earlier. You know, he is, what, 17 yards away from a 1,000-yard season? Yes. And he only has 132 carries this year. I mean, you know, you got to put it into perspective that in Nick Saban's time um, at Alabama, he's never had a starting running back with this few carries uh, as what Harris has right now. Now, obviously, that speaks a lot to the impact that Hertz has made in the ground game because he's taken up 150 carries of his own from the quarterback position. So you have to put it into that sort of context. But you're talking about a guy in Harris averaging 7.4 per clip. Now, that's the highest by an Alabama back with 100 or more carries under Saban by just about a full yard. I mean, I think Lacey and, and maybe 2012 was up over six but um, yeah it, it's been very impressive from Harris when he's when, when he's had opportunities but yeah I expect to see a continuation of what we've seen and that means Harris with Jacobs and Scarborough. Um, and if you're an Alabama fan you know you want to see those guys get up over 35, 40 carries if possible. They only had 24 carries between them in the SEC championship game. But they still, as a trio, rush for 212 yards in three touchdowns.
1: And uh, from Jalen Hurts, uh, he's had such a great freshman year. What are you kind of expecting out of him on this stage?
4: That's going to be interesting. You know, he seems to be wired the way you need to be wired to handle this type of stage. You know, I would say the SEC championship game wasn't exactly a small stage. Quite <laughs> okay. Didn't turn the ball over. Only had one rushing yard that was – a low for him this season. But, again, when you when you share the load with these backs and the rest of this offense, you don't need him to give you 300 total yards. You don't need him to account for three or four touchdowns. Now, there's, there's other ways that this offense can do it. I think the biggest thing for him, as it was in the SEC championship game, is keep the turnover category clean. If he does that and he only accounts for 150, 160 total yards, they still have a great chance of winning this game with their running backs and their running game their defense and jk scott putting the football
1: and then uh this, this matchup for this alabama defense travis i think the narrative is still the same you've got to stop the run because we saw uh, uh jacob browning struggle against colorado i think he was only 10 of 24 uh, but they were able to run the football so well it really didn't matter
4: yeah that's that's essentially what happened and um you know, Miles Gaskin is their leading rusher. He's back to back, 1,300 yard seasons. He's a true sophomore. But Levon Coleman gives them a little thump,
1: too. He does, yes. And,
4: and I think we may see even a little more Coleman than we have in some games. I mean, this is a guy who I think has pretty much similar 100 yard games as Gaskin. He just only has about half the carries this season. He's 228 pounds. Gaskin a little bit on the light side, under 200. Um, so probably not going to be much in the way of yards after contact. This Alabama defense tackles so well that, you know, it's better served against guys that are trying to make people miss because they don't, Alabama doesn't miss, uh, defensively. So, you know, I would, I would keep an eye on Coleman as much or more as I would even Gaskin this week. And that's understanding again, that Gaskin's had a very productive season and, um, yeah, Alabama wants to, to do what it does up front, and that's dominate uh, the line of scrimmage. And you know, I, I look at Washington up front, the left side of that offensive line really like Eldrin Camp, the guard, and Adams, the left tackle, both are first-team All pack 12 players. But the right side of that Washington offensive line, frankly, uh, I don't see holding up. So you know, this is a left. This is going to be a left-handed running team. I think you're going to see Saturday. If Alabama, with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne on the right side of that defensive line from its nickel package, which it'll probably be in a good bit Saturday, is able to do what it's done all season against the left side of that Washington offensive line, it's going to be really hard for the Huskies to run the ball.
1: And then uh, Ross and Pettis are very talented at wide receiver. Uh, they, I still think, uh, and I'm not disrespecting either one, I think they're both very good players. Uh, but it can't be something that uh, that Alabama hasn't seen with how talented that old Miss group was. Uh, how do you see them matching up against the Alabama secondary?
4: Yeah, you know, I think it comes down more to the accuracy at the quarterback position. Good point. I think guys can I think guys can get open in just about every week. I mean, it's it's a tough position to play uh, in the secondary. Obviously, a lot of times it comes down to can a quarterback get the football to his guys and. You know, I think Browning, since Austin Allen in Arkansas, this will be the most accurate quarterback they've seen since, what, October the 8th, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, now, do I think Dave Browning is on the level of Chad Kelly? No way. Uh, I don't see it at all. Um, I think he's kind of like, um, you know, he he's a sophomore, and so he still has a little bit of a ways to go in terms of consistency, um, he's, a, he's an accurate guy. I wouldn't say he's a dynamic passer like Chad Kelly. Um, and so, you know, I don't sense the confidence, I guess, coming from Jake Browning. I see more of a younger Aaron Murray than I see a Chad Kelly in uh, Jake Browning. So, um, you know, this is a guy that's accurate enough in those receivers, absolutely. Um, you know, you said it, Pettis, uh, Ross, you know, these are two guys that have combined for 31 touchdown catches year so they understand getting into the end zone um but you know you, you got to be careful because they can do some things matchup wise with a guy like chico mcclatcher who's a little 5-7 jitterbug mm-hmm. they can line him up in the backfield get him in the slot getting the ball quick and then he's able to make plays too so it's more than just Petters and ross you know i think alabama matches up okay um with those guys but ultimately it'll come down to the accuracy of uh of Browning and also, you know, whether or not that pass rush for Alabama can affect them, and especially early in the game.
1: And then, Travis, uh, and we thank you for joining us. This is the senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, also the host of Southern Fried Sports from 11 to noon, Monday through Friday on Tide 1029. Uh, overall, just your 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 pick on this game, and also who do you like in the in the Orange, or excuse me, in the Fiesta Bowl? Obviously, in the Orange Bowl in 2014, Dabo Sweeney found a way to beat Urban Meyer 40 to 35 with Taj Boyd. I think that's kind of what's launched his program to this point. Uh, but your your thoughts on Alabama, Washington, and then your pick uh, in the Fiesta Bowl? My gut's telling me Clemson by a touchdown, but I would like to see Ohio State and Alabama hook up again.
4: Yeah, I would be good with either matchup. I think either way, you're looking at just a great final. But, you know, as far as Alabama, Washington, um, you know, I, I see Alabama in a 30 to 17 kind of game right now. Um, I think the number in Vegas where it sits right now is like 14. I think that's pretty much on it, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, I, again, I think in a lot of ways, the game will be as competitive as Alabama's offensive approach allows it to be. If Alabama comes out and pretty much puts it all in the hands of Jalen Hurts, and that means decision-making more than anything physically he's asked to do, that means zone read decision-making. That means RPO decision-making. That means progressions in the passing game decision-making. If they put it all on the true freshman from the outset, then I think the chances are better for Washington to stay in this game for a longer period of time. If Alabama comes out and gives him some of that, gives hurt some of that, but then also puts more of it into the traditional running game maybe or the backs and the offensive line and let them kind of take the wheel, so to speak, I think Alabama can control this game throughout. I just don't have a feel for exactly how Lane's going to go about it. So, you know, I see a 30-17 to 17 type game in that one. And I like Clemson, too, against Ohio State, although I absolutely do not trust <laughs> this Clemson team at this point right. because I haven't seen them play four quarters really all year. And whereas I like the matchups individually for Clemson in this game, I, I like knowing that Ohio State, at least for what their ceiling is, is going to play closer to it for four quarters than Clemson. Clemson might go away for a quarter and a half. You don't know. I mean – and, and they're good enough that they can get away with it most weeks. But uh, I think Clemson wins the game. But, again, I won't be surprised if if, uh,
1: if it's Ohio State. Absolutely. Well, Travis, great stuff as always. Uh, we thank you for taking the time. I know it's very busy. It, Bama onlinecom has been all over this. I'm sure you're going to be in Atlanta. I hope to see you there. Uh, yep. Let everybody know about your Twitter feed and where they can read your stuff and, of course, uh, your radio program.
0: That was Travis Ryer talking with Drew Armand, more, you know, scheme stuff, kind of a kind of an interesting bookend with what I said. I'm not sure we agree everywhere, but that's half the fun. So one last bit of Bama audio before uh, I'll play Christian Capel from the Tacoma News Tribune. He's going to give us the Washington side. Drew did have a conversation with John Garcia, Jr. And uh, here that is right now. Drew with John. John,
1: always great to reconnect with you. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. How are you? I did, Drew. Hopefully you did as
6: well. I'm good. Good. 80 degrees out here. Sun's <laughs> out, you know. Bucket hat on. It's it's quite unusual. But, uh, um, yeah, it's hot. It's hot out here.
1: Well, let's first of all, let's just, for the few quick minutes we get with you, just your observations on what you've seen from the Alabama commits. I know Chris Allen, there's been several that have been very impressive thus far.
6: Yeah, Chris Allen was a little banged up. He told us he had a little stomach issue, but nothing too serious. He's back out there as we speak, as practice. Number two gets underway. Uh, he looked good, just so so big and strong in person. You know, you see him and you you hear that he's this great pass rusher, but you look at him, he's almost as big as Le'Bron Ray. You know, so it's kind of like, wow, how could he be this freakish on this day that's again what Alabama has shown us over the last few years in their uh, individual identification and evaluations. Um, he's looked good. Uh, I think you got to go with offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood, second highest ranked Bama commitment here behind Dylan Moses. He's been the best offensive lineman that I've seen, uh, just so good at the point of attack. He has that, that extra oomph and motivation uh, with everything that he does, uh, a little nasty, if you will, which is something you'd like on the offensive line. He's been near flawless so far. Um, I think Dylan Moses has been very good playing linebacker next to fellow commitment Mark hill Benson. Those guys have been running with the first group as far as I've seen uh, for Team Armor, which is, um, you know, they're, they're wearing, uh black and white as they always do so it's hard to distinguish between the two teams but for team armor you've got Dylan Moses and Markel Benson at linebackers together and they've enjoyed working together uh, as they will next year back on the offensive side of the ball uh, Dedrick Wills has looked good he's an interesting guy is he a tackle is he a guard we're not sure but he had some very good reps as well on Wednesday Um, and then some other constants Jerry Judy's a guy we've always likes at these events he shines when, when the lights are brightest and there's a lot of cameras out here so he's been <laughs> as advertised when the lights are brightest so uh the family commitments have had a really nice start to the week there's eight of them so obviously they can't all be great uh, some have been better than others but the guys who are the highest ranked and who we have the highest opinion of have looked as such so far
1: yeah and no, that's not surprising uh you know jedrick wills they said he had some as you said some really good reps Uh, and has uh, in pass protection at at the tackle position. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility he could play right tackle in the SEC. But the one that you uh, brought up, LeBron Ray, hearing he was at defensive tackle, 255. But, John, you you know how much uh, I've been uh, raving about this kid since he was a sophomore and how much he improved every year. Just uh, We didn't get a chance to see him in the Alabama-Mississippi game because of a shoulder injury. Good to see him getting work this week.
6: Yeah, he and uh, Markel Benton both have torn labrums, so they both uh, pushed out of the Mississippi-Alabama game uh, in order to play in this one. They'll both have surgery at some point following this week, but uh, you couldn't tell from either of those guys. Ray, again, um, he's bigger than most, um, and then with the guys who's b- who are bigger than him, he's just so much quicker. Uh, and again, I always say you know, he has this motor that, that elite guys in the top 100 don't typically show. They don't have to show it, and they're still elite, but he shows it on top of that. So he's a high-character kid. He gives you that maximum effort. Um, again, he can rush the passer. He can beat you with technique as well. He's just one of the more complete defensive linemen in this class, and that's why he's, he's a top 100 guy and the number one player, uh, and it's not close anymore, in the state of Alabama. He's looked that way so far. And, again, no signs that the shoulder's slowing him down in any way.
1: And I know you've been doing this for quite a few years now. I was asked this last night, and I thought it was a, a valid comparison. It puts a lot of pressure on LeBron Ray because of how good this guy ended up being. But do you see uh, similarities between between him and Jonathan Allen as a, as prospects at the same stage?
6: You know, physically, I, I think Allen was a bit ahead of LeBron. Now, size wise they were similar. Jonathan Allen was 255-260 coming into his, his career at Alabama, so that's going to be interesting to see how much weight is put on LeBron. I don't think he ends up as big as Allen is now, closer to 300 pounds. I think LeBron will stay in that 275-280 range. So physically, I'm, I'm not sure – if he's the player Allen was. But size-wise and mentally especially, they're so similar. I remember everything I heard about Jonathan Allen was that he was consistent. He was a high-character kid. He was an effort kid. He was an energy kid. He was a guy who was always a team captain and would end up that way at Alabama. That's what he's done in Tuscaloosa, and that's the biggest similarity I see between he and LeBron Ray. High-character, team-captain type kid. Doesn't mean he's a yeller and a rah-rah guy, but a guy who when the chips are down you're going to look for him to make a play and you're going to look for him to set the right example in between making plays, in between games and practices, et etc., on and off the field. That's the biggest comparison and really the biggest compliment I can provide LeBron Ray in regards to John Allen. I think John a little better physically and as a prospect overall, but Ray not too far behind, although so very similar mentally on the field as well as off.
1: And now, John, as we wrap it up within these few quick minutes, we thank you for your time. We know it's very busy for you. Uh, the biggest storyline to follow is D'Angelo Gibbs. Uh, what what are you hearing on that situation? I know Alabama would like to add him to the fold.
6: Sure. You know, he's, he's a five-star athlete, a guy who can play corner, receiver, safety, basically anything you want. He's worked out at receiver, corner, and safety already here in these first two days. He's actually working exclusively offense thus far uh, during today's practice. But you, there's positivity and, and optimism on both sides of the coin. George is the school that he's been to. Well, more than any other, maybe two or three times as much as any other program. It was his last visit, which was right up against the dead period after he won a championship, a state championship in the Georgia Dome. Um, so that obviously has a lot of optimism in Athens. With Alabama, it's really the team that's been the hot team with him over the last two or three months. He visited officially for that Texas A&M game, and since that point, Bama has been a real contender. He cites. The ability to to play in the NFL, the ability to be coached up and and developed all the way through. Uh, and I asked him more about it actually yesterday, Drew. I haven't even published this yet, but he talked about Bama being more than that. A lot of people look at Bama as just a business decision. Well, he said, you know, Alabama carries a lot of weight off the field, in the job force, things like that. So he's not uh, a guy who has tunnel vision towards the NFL, and it's it's it, that or bust. There's a there's a secondary plan for D'Angelo Gibbs, and he's starting to realize that Bama's not just that that maybe easier ticket or quicker ticket. To the NFL, so I think that helps Alabama's chances heading into Sunday. And again, this is getting towards coin flip scenario, which is something. If you would have told me two or three months ago we would be saying that about DeAngelo Gibbs, I probably would have laughed in your face. So that's <laughs> the type of ground Alabama has made up here in the last few days. I do think Georgia's the safer pick, but that that momentum that Alabama has created is, is certainly not anything to ignore. And, and both coaching staff, both fan bases, and certainly us in the media will be paying attention to that uh, on on New Year's Day uh, here in Orlando. He doesn't know what he's announcing yet during the game, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, John, we always thank you for the few quick minutes. We know we're going to continue to uh, monitor your Twitter feed closely, some great stories, great video, as always, from Scout.com. Thank you, sir. Let everybody know where they can find all that.
6: Yeah. Scout A.T.S. Alabama for the in-state guys. O'Brien Brian Ray, Markel Benson, Austin Troxell, Ryan Johnson. Uh, and then for everything Alabama, at Bama Mag, that's where you'll see the most consistent Crimson Tide-only feed. And I'm doing a little bit of everything at John Garcia underscore JR.
1: Thank you, sir. I really appreciate your time. Thank
0: you, Drew. Have a good- And that was Drew Diarman talking with John Garcia. John Garcia from UA All-America game practice. So he's seen all manner of stuff and things. and would be interested to pick his brain. But... Let's go in and close out the show. It is going to end a little bit early. I apologize I didn't take callers. I want to get this out as soon as possible. But uh, this is actually Christian Capel from the Tacoma News Tribune. He's going to be talking the Huskies. But before I start that, I do want to wish everybody a happy and safe New Year. And uh, remember, forty-two twenty-four Bama, so keep that in your head. And if I'm wrong, do not tweet me about it. That would be mean. But that all being said... Happy and safe New Year, and here is Christian Cable with with the Tacoma News Tribune to close out BAM's radio.
1: Christian, thank you for taking the time, sir. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for
5: having me on. We just wrapped up uh, media days here, so um, get a, it, it feels like it's getting <laughs> finally getting close to, to playing some actual football, which is good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all the hype and everything, and press conferences and covering the practices, now finally getting a chance to finally hook up. And I know you were all all over the coverage of uh, Washington's media day today. Just your thoughts on what you heard and uh, what you saw from the players.
5: Yeah, you know, it's just kind of more of the same, Uh, I think, since this matchup was announced, and and really all season, whenever they've been asked about their playoff aspirations and, and their ranking and college football playoff picture and everything like that. Um, you know, they they kind of, they stick to a, a, an almost annoyingly boring sort of <laughs> mindset that, you know, and it's very similar to, I'm sure, what, what Nick Saban preaches at Alabama that it's, hey, doesn't matter who they're playing, doesn't matter where they're ranked, doesn't matter what we're all saying or what the point spreads are or anything like that. They're just focused on the next meeting, the next practice, the next rep. And um, I think every team likes to think that they're about that. I think this Washington team has probably proven throughout this season that. That really has been something they've been able to stick to and a philosophy that's worked for them and um, you know you talk to these guys about Alabama and about the uh, the expectations and everyone thinking that Alabama is just going to steamroll them and um, you know they they don't really have a reaction one way or the other other, other than to say that obviously they, they think they're here for a reason, they know they're here for a reason and um, I'm sure they think that uh, there's no reason why they can't win
1: Yeah and uh, I mean Chris Peterson, it's well documented what he did at Boise State and uh, he came to Washington, finally made that move into the Pac-12, which seemed natural. Uh, but I know you've had a chance to cover him now uh, for his three seasons uh, with the Huskies. Do you see a lot of similarities between him and Nick Saban?
5: You know, I, I think they're similar just in that sense that um, the the outside noise and the hype and the, the media interviews and um, speculation and looking ahead and, and all that kind of stuff, they just – would really rather do without totally. I mean, if Chris Peterson could go the rest of his life and the rest of his career without ever having to do another interview, he would take that in a heartbeat. And um, you know, I haven't covered Nick Saban, but I, I would imagine he, he wouldn't be real upset about an arrangement like that either. So, um, you know, I, I just think the you, know, you hear the word process a lot from both of them, and I think that's something that Chris Peterson really sticks to and is really about I mean, they, they talk about their core philosophies and their principles all the time. And, you know, all his, his little acronyms and abbreviations and, and those kind of things that, uh, you know, you talk to the players and it's almost like each of them is, is sort of a mini Chris Peterson in a way, uh, especially on the offense, you know, especially I think Jake Browning has, has really bought into that mindset also. Um, but, you know, I, I do think they're similar just in the way that they go about their business and that they're all business. They're all, you know, um, they, uh, When there's a task at hand, that's all they want to focus on. They don't want to talk about all the storylines and all the stuff that the fans like to think about for them. It's, it's just getting their team prepared, sticking to the process, not making any one game or any one practice or any one week bigger than, than anything else. And, um, I I would imagine that uh, Nick Saban this week is probably really, really annoyed that that everyone's talking about how good Alabama is and how much they're going to win by, and I'm sure Chris Peterson loves it, especially after spending all season, you know, being favored in every game and being talked about as, as sort of the team with the target on its back. So, uh, yeah, I, I do see some similarities between those two for sure.
1: Well, and Christian, uh, what is kind of the differences, I know covering this program, and it's fascinating because of some of the connections with Steve Sarkeesian now on the Alabama staff and going to take over as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator starting next year. Uh, you know, what's been some of the changes you've seen in the Washington program from Chris Peterson taking over for Sarkeesian?
5: You know, I, I think the, the one thing that players have pointed to the most, especially the first two seasons as it was still sort of a transition, was uh, this sense of, of togetherness. And I think that a lot of times that can be so overblown because, hey, when you win football games and you've got a lot of really talented players and you're 12-1 and and you're in the playoffs, it's really easy to say that, oh, you know, every, everyone's united and everyone, it feels like a real team and everyone's happy and gets along because you're winning and it's great. Um, but, you know, I think last year you know, with them going six and six and, and sneaking into a bowl game and winning that and finishing seven and six and really not having the season they wanted to win loss wise, um, uh, you know, Chris Peterson points to last season as, you know, really some of his favorite times here that they were four and six, but nobody got down, you know, nobody quit nobody stopped practicing hard their focus was the same all season and they rallied and and went seven and six and ended up feeling pretty good about themselves by the time the year ended I think maybe that's uh, you know evidence of of a big difference in the program between Sarkeesian and Peterson that um, you know they really stuck with it all season there weren't any games that they weren't in and they didn't get discouraged by losses and they were able to rally so you know I I just do I think the the mental focus is a little bit better. I think that the direction they're going and the identity that they have is a little bit clearer. That You know, they, you know Steve Sarkeesian was a first-time head coach, maybe still trying to figure himself out a little bit, still trying to form his own identity, whereas Chris Peterson had, had been doing it for eight years and very much had his core principles that he wasn't going to budge on and knew exactly what he was going to teach and exactly the way they were going to do it from day one. I, I just think there's there's been a, a better sense of direction since he took over, and that's not necessarily a knock on Sarkeesian. He did some good things here, too. He inherited a program that was 0-12 and, and turned him around, had him in a bowl game in two years. You look at the roster now and the guys who are really making plays for Washington, John Ross and uh, Keyshawn Bieria, Zane Victor, Elijah Qualls, you know, they had a first, you know, Jake Eldrenkamp is a first team uh, All-Pac-12 offensive lineman, and those were all guys who started their careers when Sarkeesian was here and were recruited by him. So, uh, I think they have Sarkeesian to thank for a lot of the talent, a lot of the, you know, the veteran talent, obviously, that they have on this roster, but uh, I think Peterson kind of pointed them in, in a direction that they needed to go that maybe they wouldn't have necessarily gotten
1: without him. And then, uh, first of all, offensively, talk about this group at Washington. A lot of balance, Miles Gaskin, 1,300 yards. Uh, Jake Browning is a sophomore, uh, 42 touchdown passes. And then the fascinating aspect of he and uh, Alabama's uh, All-American right tackle, Jonah Williams, being teammates in high school.
5: Yeah, you know, I think uh, two big factors contributed to their offense taking a step forward, and one of them is simply John Ross you know he sat out all last year after tearing his ACL and having surgery and they struggled and didn't really have that deep threat didn't really you know weren't really able to take the top off of a defense and um really struggled in the downfield passing game he comes in this year obviously everybody knew the kind of elite athlete that he was they saw him as a kick returner they'd used him as receiver and DB his, his first two years and uh but there were kind of questions like okay is this a guy you can target 10 times a game is this a guy who's going to go out and and you know, received for nine hundred or a thousand yards. Because you know, in his first two years, he just kind of been a big play guy, and he really refined his, his skills as a receiver, as a route runner. Um, technically, his his effort at the line, his blocking, and, and really became a really skill, fundamentally skilled receiver. And that speed and that versatility, uh, I think, was one just a huge weapon for Jake Browning to have throwing in terms of throwing in the ball that they didn't have before because they can get in the ball however they want. Uh, But it also, I think, opened things up for everybody else, that he requires so much attention. You cannot cover him one-on-one on on the perimeter with one guy. You pretty much always have to roll a safety over to his side. You always have to be aware of him. I think that helped the run game. I think that helped Dante Pettis, you know, who, who as a freshman and a sophomore kind of flashed some promise, but this year really stepped up and had a really nice year also. Um, So I I think John Ross was a a big reason why they took a step forward. And then, you know, Browning matured to the point where he obviously last year was already a smart guy and knew their offense well. And he had some pre-snap autonomy last season, but they put a lot more on his plate um, in terms of being able to change the play, uh, diagnose the front seven, get out of a run, check into a run. Uh, And the coaches have been really pleased with how he's been able to do that, too. And so that's just kind of given them a, a different element. Um, and then yeah, it's kind of funny today talking to to Jonah Williams and getting his thoughts on Browning as as a friend and uh, maybe some perspective that we don't necessarily get just in our our real short um, interview windows that we get with Browning. So you know he just kind of talked about how he's been a mentor for him and you know he's a year behind him but went through sort of the same experiences as far as you know being really highly recruited and um, not going through the the elite camp circuit and um, you know enrolling early and playing early and um, he's really kind of, aside from being in a different position, has kind of followed in Browning's footsteps that way. So uh, it does sound like those those guys get along real well, have a good relationship, but I, I don't think they'll be talking a whole lot this
1: week. Uh, I don't think so either. Uh, and then uh, this the, there's been a lot said about uh, the left side of this offensive line uh, for Washington and how they match up uh, with uh, Alabama in and and this running game. Uh, of course, you've seen the statistics. Alabama has been very, very stingy against the run all year. Uh, but Washington is more physical than most teams in the Pac-12. Just your thoughts on how this offense matches up against this Alabama defense.
5: Yeah, that's going to be real interesting, um, especially, like you said, the offensive line against the front seven in the run game. You now, I think, obviously, it goes without saying, if the Huskies can't run the ball, they have no chance. I mean, if you can't run the ball against this Alabama team and you're in – third and long and obvious passing downs, and they can pin their ears back and come after you, that's secondary, and the way they force turnovers, the way they score uh, defensively. If they don't run the ball at least decent, it's going to be a really long day for them. And it's its just hard to really know how they match up because no one really looks like Alabama. Uh, I think the two best defenses they've played, pretty much anybody would agree, were Colorado and USC, maybe in that order, maybe not. Against USC, they really struggled to run the ball, kinda of had to go away from it earlier than they wanted probably and uh, that was one of Jake Browning's worst games. He only completed and ground fifty percent of his passes through two pretty bad interceptions that I'm sure he would like back and kinda of pressed a little bit and then against Colorado, you know, Browning had his by far his worst game of the season, yet they score forty one points yes. and, and ran the ball we you know, are able to run mm-hmm. the ball right at him and, and against a pretty physical defense. So against two, you know, athletic physical defenses they've they've had mixed results. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see, especially after a month off and a month of, of game planning with Chris Peterson and his staff, how they sort of go about trying to run the ball against such a stout front seven.
1: And then, uh, as you said earlier, you wrote uh, that the way Washington can win this game is the way they've done it all year. And it would mean defensively that Washington needs to force Jalen Hurts into mistakes.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you might think, well, he's a true freshman quarterback on this stage, maybe that's you know, gives them a little bit of an edge. Maybe that's better than, you know, facing a junior or senior who's been around. But asking a few UW players about that yesterday, you know, they kind of said, well, he's in game 14 and he plays for Alabama. So <laughs> he's been on, you know, every game is a big stage when you when you play for Alabama, whether you're a freshman or not. You know, I, coaches like to say by the end of the season, no one's really a freshman anymore anyway. But, um, you know, if, if you look at Alabama's offense, which has been really good, obviously they got three really good running backs. Some really athletic, fast receivers, NFL-caliber tight ends, solid offensive line. Um, you know, as good as Jalen Hurts has been, I think their best bet is to just hope they can pressure him and contain him and keep him from running, and, and maybe force him into a mistake or two, or or get a sack, fumble, or or you know, have one of those DBs make a play. You know, that's that's kind of. Um, I think the mentality of his defense the last few years has been the turnovers they have forced. I don't know that they've lucked into a ton of them. I think they have that aggressive mentality of going after the ball, and that you know when the ball's in the air, it's just as much theirs as the receivers and, and all those sort of things. So um, Jalen Hurts is really really good. He doesn't play like a freshman. Obviously, you guys know that. You've watched him all year. He's kind of got that uncanny poise, and and doesn't really seem like he's easily shaken. So. Uh, they're definitely going to have to get pressure on him. And if they do, uh, take advantage of that and and, and try to get an interception or two out of it.
1: And talk about that Washington secondary. A lot of uh, playmakers back there. Uh, Buda Becker, All-American. I know that uh, he's been a big-time playmaker in their secondary. Uh, They're going to go up against Calvin Ridley, O.J. Howard, our Darius Stewart uh, to me it's fascinating because I think the strength of Washington I do think their defensive front is not being uh, given as much credit as probably it should but that secondary is really really good
5: yeah you know I think that's the one group that before this season started if you said hey if there's one position group on this team that that everybody knows is going to be really good this year uh, it it was that secondary I mean they brought back Buda Baker and Sidney Jones who were both first team all pack 12 as as sophomores and Played a ton as true freshmen, so they've they've got uh, you know, a lot of experience under their belt. Kevin King obviously came on really strong last year and, and developed into a really good, probably NFL caliber type cover corner. Um, you know uses uses his length and, and his speed to to break past. I think he led the team in pass breakups with like 13 or so. And then they added Taylor Rapp, a true freshman safety who um, I think kind of took a lot of people by surprise. with you know they were able to move him around to. From, from strong safety to, to nickel corner and, and trying him at different positions. And he kind of gave them a lot of versatility early on to be able to play a lot of nickel and be really confident he could hold his own. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really solid group, uh, you know, 19 interceptions and um, not all of those were, were by the starters. They, their second string is, is pretty solid too. And I would expect those guys to play some they have all year. Um, and, and, you know, if, I think if they're going to win this game, it's because the secondary is going to make some plays. You know, Alabama is going to be able to run the ball. The Huskies do have a stout front seven. I think that D-line, like you said, is maybe going a little overlooked. They've been pretty solid all year. Um, but there have been times against certain teams, uh, the Utah game comes to mind where, you know, a really good running back and a good offensive line can can maybe get their yardage against them. But uh, they that secondary has, has really shut down pretty much every big-time quarterback with big-time stats that they've faced this season. and um, If they're going to have any chance to win this game defensively, uh, aside from getting pressure on the quarterback, I think that secondary is going to have to really step up and, and make the kind of plays that they've made all season.
1: Yeah, they've. Uh, it's going to be really key for them, and they've overcome an injury. Uh, let the listeners know. Alabama lost Eddie Jackson, an All American at safety, but uh, Washington's done a great job after losing a, uh, a a special linebacker late in the season.
5: Yeah, you know uh, that in the USC first quarter, first or second quarter of the USC game, as Victor goes down with the broken leg and had to be carted off, and I think that took a lot out of them in, in that game. But they've they've replaced him. You know pretty well. DJ Beavers is a redshirt freshman that they felt really good about last year, and um, you know the the twos on this team play a lot. They roll those guys through there pretty consistently. So uh, you know he, he has had his opportunities and has gotten a lot of reps already, and, and I think he's just uh, um, he's kind of been unshaken because of that, and has been able to fill in for Victor pretty effectively.
1: Well, Christian, we appreciate it. Great thoughts on Washington. Uh, we look forward to the matchup. Hopefully get a chance to connect with you down there in Atlanta. Thank you for taking the time with us this morning. Uh, Really appreciate it on Talking Ball. Let everybody know about your Twitter feed and where they can continue to read your coverage. Yeah,
5: I'm just uh, at Christian Capel, C H R I S T I A N C A P L E, and you can read my stuff on thenewstribune.com.
1: Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it.
5: All right, thanks for having me.